there were lots of children that we looked after who'd been injured horrifically with landmines. Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. The only thing I was scared of was failing, was letting down the people there that I was supposed to support. Things went south really bad. You've got to have an element of crazy to be good at what we do. There was an ego attached to being a gunfighter. Being around big, tall trees, thick shrubbery, potentially connects him to other moments in his life during battles. The story of transformation is powerful. Lieutenant Colonel Robin White is currently serving in the Australian Army Reserves as the Senior Medical Officer of 6th Brigade. During her service with the full-time Army and Reserves, she has deployed to Rwanda and twice to the Middle East, including Afghanistan. She shared with Angus Horden some key experiences from her military service and how her time in Rwanda inspired her to become a doctor. I'm Angus Horton, and today I'm speaking with Robin White. Robin, welcome to Life on the Line. Thank you. Robin, it's interesting talking to you today. It's Sunday the 5th of April, and here we are in Sydney with the coronavirus supposedly coming close to its peak of infection, so we're hoping that we might get some positive news. I'd like to start off by asking about your childhood and where you grew up. Well, I grew up all over the place. My father was in the Air Force, so every two years we moved around. From my earliest memories, though, we started out in Raymond Terrace because Dad was at Williamtown. And then we went to, when I was five, we went to Malaysia for two and a half years. And then we came back to Williamtown, then back to Malaysia, then Wagga for a year, then Newcastle. So I travelled all over the place. I changed schools every couple of years and that was my normal. And was that the um, Air Force Base at Butterworth? Yes, that's right. That's right. So we had two postings there, which were um, wonderful. Uh, you know, as a child, you might, I mightn't have thought so at the time because uh, it was a different culture. But looking back on it, we had great schooling. We were exposed to so many different cultures and food and travel and beautiful weather, beautiful scenery. It was just a really special time. And I'm really, I think that's big standout in my childhood, having that experience of living overseas in a different culture. And do you think that started your ambition as a child to go into the military and into nursing? Certainly with nursing, I I was, as a very young child, that was what I wanted to do from a very young age. There weren't too many professions that women went into when I was growing up. So I was very much a product of my childhood where women did women things, so to speak. That did change, but it was stuck in my mind from a young age to go into nursing. And the military piece really was because of dad being in the Air Force. I found that when, when we were in Malaysia, it was, you know, we were with families we were in that community and I really liked what the Air Force did for us as a family and I thought it'd be great to join up one day and that that was in my head from maybe 12 13 years of age. As you grow up and you go into a career you were choosing between the nursing and the military but for you the two came together sort of thing. 
they eventually did and it wasn't by a grand design it just it happened basically that way where I one day thought well hey I can go in the military I I wanted to to be an officer I can go in the military I can be an officer I can be a nursing officer and what attracted you specifically to going into the army I actually started out in a an army reserve band I wasn't very good but I had the opportunity to be in an army reserve band so when it came to making the decision to join up, I even though Dad was in the Air Force, I actually felt more comfortable in the in the Army environment because I knew the ranks and things like that. But when it came to making the decision to join up in the full-time services, I actually had done a list in my head and I had my priorities about which service to join. And I thought I would join the Air Force because of Dad. And I had heard a lot of positive things about nursing in the Air Force. When I made the decision to join up, I needed to join up straight away. And I went into recruiting. The RAF weren't taking nurses at that time. So I went to the Navy desk and they weren't taking nurses at that time. So I I went home and mum was a bit angry with me because she said, you know, why didn't you go to the army? And I said, oh, mum, I didn't want to be going from one desk to another, telling them I really wanted to join their service. It came about that we did contact the army. They wanted nurses. So that was the path I took down. But I was comfortable with that because of my time in the Army Reserve. And out of interest, what instrument did you play? (laughs) I always get so embarrassed when people bring it up, but I played the alto sax badly. (laughs) And it's interesting what you say about the army because, as we know, the army is the biggest employer of the three services. So I would imagine you'd have a bigger chance of being a nurse in the army because they have greater number of nurses. So that actually sort of made sense for you as well, plus your army reserve heritage. Yes. It's not too long after you sign up that you're actually deployed and you go to Rwanda in 1994. And this was just after the terrible genocide. Can you tell us about that, please? Yes. Well, it was a situation where we'd heard about it in the news. At that time, being in the army, we were more or less a peacetime army. We weren't involved like we are now. So I was never expecting to be deployed in my time. So when the genocide happened and when we were committing troops, there was talk about a health element being deployed. Didn't think I would, that would involve me, but closer and closer to the deployment, it looked like our unit was going to be sending a lot of health people over and I was fortunate enough to be considered to go. At that time, it was getting ready to go. It was a very, it was an exciting time, exciting but a scary time. It was something that I was looking forward to, but I also, it was a great unknown. I was concerned about safety and just not knowing what I was getting myself into. Overall, it was one of excitement of the deployment. So Robin, when you're deployed, your unit's obviously attached to some infantry and some other security forces. So how big was the unit? So roughly the contingent was just over 300 strong and it was roughly a third health, a third infantry, a third logistics support roughly. And our health unit was composed of our major field hospital that I was part of and then a couple of war medics from other units and certainly there were Navy and uh, a small amount of Navy and uh, Air Force providing AME support. And what was your primary role there as a nurse? I was a general nurse. So we had a, uh, a ward that was a 30-bed general medical surgical ward, essentially. So that's what I did. I worked on that ward. The genocide has gone through. Are you uh, looking after locals? Who were the typical people that you were nursing? It was mainly locals. We were there not to provide medical support to the local population. It was Our major mission was to look after UN troops. 
we did have them. They were generally of a, a lower acuity. They didn't stay as long. Um, most of our patients were the local population. So how did you find just the absolute sickening situation of the genocide? Well, certainly it's still to this day incomprehensible to me. And if I'm ever giving a talk about something, I, I find it's, it's in some ways I get more emotional now than I did then. And I guess that's because of a lot of things that have happened since. It's always there whenever I th- you, know, you hear of Rwanda, it's always with that, that horrid event. The more I read about it, the less I understand. It's something that doesn't define, certainly it's changed my life. I don't necessarily feel it's scarred my life as such. I can't use that terminology, but it's certainly something that when I, whenever the word Rwanda crops up, it takes me there. If I am having to think about it, then I can get distressed about it. There were lots of children that we looked after who'd been injured horrifically with landmines. There were a couple of children there that I do think about. One of the more disturbing events that happened to me, I was on duty one night down in Butari. So we were sent down to Butari on rotation to help out in the displaced persons camps at Cabello. And bearing in mind, I was first contingent. So I wasn't involved with the Cabello massacre at all. But we'd go down to Cabello on rotations to do humanitarian work in the displaced persons camps. And whilst we were down there, there was a vehicle accident in Butari, which is where we were based. And Quite a few people were injured and we had to go and help at the hospital, which was very primitive, didn't have much in the way of resources, didn't have much in the way of health staff, doctors, nurses. So what we had to do was um, work shift work that particular night in this makeshift ward to look after these people who we couldn't evacuate out of the region. So we were looking after them and that was, that was fine. On one of my shifts there during the middle of the night, we had some Zambian soldiers. They obviously saw there was a light on at the hospital, so they had a a woman that they brought in to us. I couldn't really understand what was going on, but she was pregnant and and in labour. That was what my impression was of it. And uh, at that time, I wasn't a midwife, but I thought, well, labour's a natural event and we can manage this and I can get the doctor up and that's all okay. But as they were transferring her onto a bed... I realised that she'd already started to deliver her baby, but it was a breech baby. And my initial thought was, okay, well, we'll fix this all up. And then I realised that the baby wasn't alive. I called my doctor and then he called our surgeon. And unfortunately, she had to have surgery for the baby to be delivered. And that was just horrible, really, really horrible and distressing for, I think, a lot of us around at that time. At the time that this was all happening, my sister was home in Australia, pregnant with her first child. And also I knew that this sort of situation would never happen in Australia. It was something that... You could relate to. I had a personal connection and it did trouble me for quite a while. It's certainly something that still disturbs me. It's something that made me want to go into midwifery. There were a lot of events in Rwanda that made me want to go down that path, but this was one of them. And had I been a midwife, I think I would have understood the situation more. We could have done different things to make it better, if that's possible. Yeah, a very distressing situation. Well, certainly you did a lot more than those soldiers carrying her into the station could have done. So I think that you did what you did. And sadly, in those sort of circumstances, you're surrounded with these terrible situations all the time. Mm -hmm. 
one of the most profound experiences I had was going to Cabello working in the displaced persons camp. And these were situations where we would go down in small teams and basically provide some very basic health care to over 70,000 people living in shelters. And it was very primitive. So we would go there every couple of days and provide soap, worming treatment, things like that. And I remember when I found out I was doing this job and I just, I thought about when I was growing up seeing aid workers on the TV in Africa and I thought, that's great that they're doing that. And then when I was in that situation, I I felt quite overwhelmed, not knowing what I could do to help people in this situation. I had access to very basic World Health Organization guidelines, but I still felt quite out of my depth and I I worried about what I would do when when I was in the camps. But when we got to the camps, there were basic things that we could do to help people. But we also had a doctor with us at the time and I would watch what he was doing and his approach. And he seemed to be able to realise his limitations with what we could do there. And whilst I was feeling so helpless, I could see he was confident and able to provide health care, but realise that we can only do so much. At that moment, and it was a moment thing where I just thought, I want to be a doctor. From that moment in Cabello, I decided to do whatever I could to get into medicine. It was one of those things where it was a moment that if I didn't have that moment, I don't know if I would have gone into medicine, but I had this very brief moment of clarity, a calling, if you will, that I, I must do medicine. Well done. It's that divine light that hit you. It was. It was. It was very, very powerful. And getting into medicine didn't happen straight away. It took a few years to get into medicine. But as I said, I would not have taken that journey, I don't believe, if it wasn't for, for that particular moment. And Robin, whilst you were in Rwanda, I understand you got a little bit of time off and you were able to go up and, and see those wonderful gorillas. Yes, I was given the opportunity. Once again, it was something that I didn't think would happen. I did know about the gorillas before I went to Rwanda, but I thought it would be too dangerous to go there. But the opportunity presented itself and it was a a very long day, long bumpy drive to get there. And we went to the northeast of the country to see the gorillas. And it involved a, a hike up a hill and probably about an hour's hike up a hill. And then we, we found a group of gorillas. I think everybody who sees the mountain gorillas comes away with the same feeling. It was one of the best days of my life seeing the gorillas. It was extraordinary. It was beautiful. It was just seeing any animal in nature, I think, is wonderful. But to see these amazing creatures, it was sublime. It was, it was, blew you away. Blew me away. It was just such a wonderful, wonderful day. It's ironic that you have such a wonderful day being in that, that whole situation. So, Robin, I understand for you that Rwanda was very special for the very best of things and the very worst of things. Yes, it was. I remember being over there writing a list of things I'd like to do when I left because there was, even though we did work long hours, there were times when there wasn't much to do. You had a lot of, I think, a lot of reflection, self-reflection time. So I made a list of goals and things that I wanted to do. Midwifery was on the list. After being inspired later on during the deployment, I put medicine on the list as well. So, Robin, can you walk us through the rest of your career in the 90s? Because you leave the full-time army, but you stay in the reserves. I came home from Rwanda in February 1995. And a couple of months after that, I was fortunate enough to go on an exchange to England, uh, called Exercise Long Look. 
So 95 is a pretty crazy year for me. And then 96, I went to Darwin. That was quite challenging. So I needed to make a decision and it was to get out of the regular army. But I went into the reserves. When I got out of the army, I went into midwifery. You did some remote work with the Aboriginal healthcare system? Yes. So after I became a midwife, I went on an army exercise to Elko Island. And whilst I was there, I was more or less offered a job at the local health centre. And I thought that this was something that I would really like to do. It was Elko Island is a beautiful place, a lovely, lovely people. Uh, I liked the health centre and it was something that having midwifery, because I did a lot of women's health up there, I thought that would be a really a good qualification to have that would make me confident working in that setting. That was a really lovely experience and I really enjoyed being in the remote area, having, I guess, an authentic in an Indigenous community and it was positive and I learned a lot from being in that part of the world, seeing firsthand some of the problems that are encountered by our Aboriginal people. It was very rewarding, actually. And I understand around this time you became a doctor and um, you're doing more work in hospitals. Well, I left Elko Island earlier than I hoped to. I only spent four months up there and I was wanting to spend a couple of years there, but I was offered a place in Newcastle to study medicine. So I had to leave to go and and do that. Somewhere along the line, you bump into Andrew in the army and marry him. That's right. That's right. So we we met on a um, promotion course and caught up a couple of months later. I think with Andrew, it's, he was, I guess, one of the few people who really liked me for what I'd achieved in the army, which was he, he liked the fact that I was a nurse, that I'd been deployed. He was so interested in, in those things that others may not be, and it's worked out really well. Oh, good luck to you. Now, it's some time before you're actually deployed again. So Rwanda is around 1994, but in 2012, there's a calling with Afghanistan. How did Afghanistan come about for you? A chance meeting with an old colleague who'd been to Rwanda, actually. He, uh, I met this um, colleague outside the mess at Victoria Barracks, and he said to me, I told him I was a doctor now because he knew he was a nurse, and he said, oh, do you want to go to Afghanistan? And um, yes, of course. <laughs> However, I was a little bit reluctant because I had a young, very young family at the time, but you can't say no to things like this. And then I was told that I'd probably be in the support base in Dubai. And I thought, well, that's all okay. One thing led to another and I was, I was off to the Middle East. I soon found out that I would actually be going to Afghanistan, not having prepared myself for that. And how did you find Afghanistan compared to Rwanda? I imagine they were very different. Absolutely, absolutely. Rwanda was very much a novel experience for a lot of us because it was the first time, one of the first times we'd deployed for a long time and a lot of people didn't know where Rwanda was and it was also new. We just didn't have any internet. We just didn't have the resources we have today to find out much about it and communicate. We were going into an unestablished environment in Rwanda and it was the total opposite with Afghanistan. Afghanistan, the whole process of deploying RSO and I, everything was so slick, a really well-oiled machine, infrastructures obviously all set up and you just go in and do your job. And what was your primary medical role in Afghanistan? It was to do medicals on troops coming home. So it wasn't an onerous job in the fact that I wasn't doing any, I wasn't doing a lot of clinical medicine, but we needed to check soldiers before they came home. Were you dealing at all with the locals? 
Not at all. I was inside the camp at uh, Tarrant I didn't leave. I just went outside the front to a market. So I had minimal interaction. There were locals that I did see in the medical facility. I wasn't working out of that facility, but I did see patients in there. I didn't see any women in my time there. I was there for four weeks. That was bookended with doing the same work in Dubai. I understand that you scored some indirect fire when you were there, though. Yes, we did. When I did listen in on the Afghanistan briefs, that was something that terrified me that that, that could happen. We are given procedures to how to, what to do in the case of indirect fire. It happened on a weekly occurrence when I was there. And the first time it happened, I was terrified. <laughs> well, in fairness, that's probably the first time you have been under fire. That's right. That's right. I'd just gotten out of a shower and we're supposed to hit the deck if this happened, but I just threw my clothes on back to front and went into a hard standing area right next to the bathroom and, you know, I was shaking and a bit of a mess, but this Australian soldier was very calm and helped me out basically. Did you think of your kids at home at that time? I don't think I did actually. <laughs> I don't think I did. I was thinking more of self-preservation, just not knowing what the strike would be like terrified for myself, basically. I know that sounds awful as a mum. The job was less onerous in Afghanistan and everything, as I said, the support structures were there. Everything's air conditioned. So for me, I know that I'm not indicative of most people who've gone to Afghanistan because it was a very short duration. I didn't do the long hours that people are doing over there. It was more of an eye-opener for me and it made me want to read more about our involvement there geopolitical situation. So I became quite interested in in the whole situation. You're back in Afghanistan the following year, I understand. I didn't get to Afghanistan. I was in the Middle East again and doing a similar job. Even though the work was low tempo, it was still fascinating to be over there, seeing what our troops do, being part of that process and that mission. And where exactly were you posted the second time? That was in Al Minhad, which is the, the base in Dubai. So Robin, let's take a moment to reflect on Rwanda again. It's April 2020, and a couple of months ago, you were in Canberra at the War Memorial to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the deployment. How was that experience for you? It was actually quite positive. I knew there would be a service, and then we were being presented with meritorious unit citations afterwards, which was incredibly special but I didn't really know who would be turning up as in colleagues from Rwanda didn't know the extent of it the whole service but the service had all our service chiefs and a chief of defense force there were a lot of veterans there which I thought was wonderful quite a few still in uniform which was really heartening it was only a couple of hours but we had the service then we went back to the war memorial to be presented with our unit citations I ran into people that I had not seen for 25 years. People were very happy to see other people and I was pleasantly surprised at how it was and came away from it feeling good about having gone down there, having seen people. I suppose for you, you could reflect on it as well. Like when you went to Rwanda, you were keen, you're in your mid-20s, you're single, you know, there weren't any kids. You go to Afghanistan later, you're married, you have kids, different deployments, but equally different stages in your life. So you can measure your life in these deployments. How do you reflect on those now? Rwanda was a life-changing experience for me. And it was an experience where I knew from the start that no matter how tough it was, how bad it was, 
this was always going to be, and I felt this at the time, this was going to be one of the most important experiences of my life. I felt privileged to be there. So anytime I had a bad day, I used to think this is one of the most amazing things that will ever happen to you. So, so that got me through a lot of stuff. And so I had that attitude, despite the things that happened. And I probably reflect on them more now after than at the time. I don't think I would have been able to cope in Rwanda being a mum as well as I did at the time. That certainly would have changed my whole outlook. And I really feel for parents who were over there and, and saw people suffering in general, but children suffering too, because we saw a lot of kids. And then going to Afghanistan, I feel lucky to have been able to have that experience. It was short. It was uncomplicated. It was good to be able to do something. Privileged to meet a lot of soldiers who told me about their experiences just in a very brief encounter. It was, it's always good to serve. So Robin, what are you doing with yourself today? Well, I'm a GP and I work in general practice and a couple of times a year I go to remote communities in Cape York and do locums in Aboriginal communities and I find that really rewarding. I'm also still in the Army Reserve, been in the Army Reserve for a long time now and I'm the Senior Medical Officer at Six Brigade which is a really rewarding and interesting posting to have. We'd like to thank you very much for being with us today and sharing in particular your insights with regard to Rwanda. Robin, thank you for your time and thank you for your service. Thank you. Robin was on the first ADF rotation to Rwanda in 1994. For another perspective on Rwanda, listen to the season two episode number 33, Tracy Smart to hear the Air Vice Marshal share her experiences of the second rotation in 1995 with Thomas Kay. I'm sorry, sister. Um, we weren't able to save her, so she just passed, you know, a little while ago. And the nun burst into tears, so I then had to counsel the nun. Never miss an episode by subscribing to this podcast. You can subscribe in your app of choice, on YouTube, or by going to our website and signing up for our free e-newsletter. Our website is www.lifeonthelinepodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Life on the Line Podcast and on Twitter at L-O-T-L Pod. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Artwork by Big Cat Design. Music by Dan Van Werkhoven. Thanks for listening. And lest we forget... <laughs>